We've been in a, a great series, People and Passages, and uh, we've been looking at just some amazing people from Scripture, and I'm just taking a look at their lives and some of the, their, their characteristics and, and things that we can glean for our own lives from the way that they lived and followed, and followed God. Last week, uh, Pastor Rick helped us look at the life of Moses and, and his life and some of his characteristics and, and ways that we can live our life in the same manner that he lived. And we know that, uh, that he got to the end of his life and uh, he wasn't able to cross over into the promised land. But uh, as he passed away, somebody would have to take the helm of leadership over Israel. And that someone was going to be Joshua. And we, uh, we're going to take a look at Joshua this morning, his life, and, and again, some of the characteristics of who he is and, and how he lived. I got I to gotta be real honest. Uh, Pastor Rick asked me to, to, to take Joshua, and I was like, Joshua. Okay, I can do Joshua. I've never taught on Joshua, but I can, I, okay. I've actually never studied Joshua the man. I started scratching my head. I'm like, have I really never taken the time to look into Joshua the man? The book of Joshua. I said, how about if I do that? He goes, there's not enough time. You need multiple messages for the book of Joshua. I go, well, all right, that's true. So uh, I'll start digging into the man Joshua. I was, I was amazed. It was, a, it was a really amazing moment for me as I began to study and dive into uh, his characteristics, and say, God, would you reveal who Joshua was? What was it that made him tick? What was it that was unique about this man? What was it that we can glean from the way he lived his life that we might live in a similar fashion? And as I began to pour over the Old Testament and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Joshua, I, I began to see just some some amazing characteristics. And I think that we can settle in, at least I did. I settled into nine verses. Nine verses is not enough to talk about somebody's life, nor are nine weeks, which we don't have either one of those. So we got nine verses in just a few minutes to see if we can glean something from Joshua's life. And as I looked at these nine verses, I think what I continued to find was that the characteristic that I find in these nine verses the things that these nine verses say about Joshua, I can find over and over and over again in Scripture about the way he responded, the, the way he viewed life, the way he acted in his relationship with God. So let's take a look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will be extended from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river of the Euphrates to the Hittite, the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be strong and proper. I'm, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. The very first thing I, I, that, that came to my attention was that Joshua was prepared to be used by God. In verse 1, it says again, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Moses, Moses' aid. Joshua was prepared to be used by God. He came out of Egypt with everyone else. He saw the plagues and saw the power of God on display. He was there for the Passover. He left with the rest of Israel and approached the, the Red Sea as, as Egypt was in, Pharaoh was in hot pursuit. He watched the sea open up and crossed over on dry land. He watched the sea close over Pharaoh. He was fed manna daily. He drank water from a rock. He was led by the presence of God. He saw the power of God on display for those who were disobedient and the blessings for those who were obedient. He saw it all. He even had the special task. Moses sent him to go, to go fight with a, a special army, an elite army, a little bit like the Israelite Navy SEALs maybe. You know, remember the, the battle against Amalek? Remember, he was out there fighting. He was given command of, of those troops. And when Moses' arms were raised and praised to God, <laughs> then Joshua would win the battle. Moses' arms came down and he would begin to be defeated. Arms up and praise to God. In that moment, Joshua was being prepared. He was being tested with his leadership. He was being tested with his ability to lead men. <laughs> but he was also being tested on his dependence upon the Lord. He was being shown and trained and prepared that the battle would never be his, but it would be the Lord's. He was a man being prepared. He was part of a special envoy that would go and, and research the promised land. Right? He would go across the Jordan, see what was going on in the land of Canaan. They stayed there for 40 days researching it spying on it, seeing what was going on. They came back, and there began to be a report by almost all of them. They're big. They're giants. They're massive. Their armies are massive. They're well-trained. They're going to slaughter us. It's going to be a bloodbath. Why would you even take us out of Egypt? And then there was Joshua, once again, being prepared. He was like, well, yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're trained. Yeah, they're, they got an army. We have the living God. That's our promise. Go. The other said, no, stay. Him and Caleb said, go. Huh. And you know what happened next is that they wandered the desert for 40 years, a year, for every day they were there living in doubt. All the men of that time passed away until all there was was Joshua and Caleb. He was prepared for the right moment. 
the moment that God was going to use him, the moment that God would use him to lead his people. No doubt he was prepared. The same is true for us. We're being prepared. The circumstances of our lives, the situations of our lives, our upbringing, our background, we're being prepared. We're being prepared for God's moments where he said, here's where I want you to step. Here's where I want you to lead. This is what I want your life to be about. These are the people I want you to speak to. I want you to go over here and be over there. The moments of our lives that are purpose and planned by God, he has had us in preparation for. We've been learning. And we need to continue to learn. Are you willing to learn? Will you sit under the tutelage of others? As Joshua sat under the tutelage of Moses and heard God speak, he was there when he went to the tabernacle. He was there when he went up to the mountain. He heard God speak. He was put in charge of guarding the tabernacle. That meant he not only knew war, but he knew worship. We have been placed under the tutelage and the leadership of others. Are we learning? Are we allowing God to craft our lives and to prepare us for that which is next? For those moments that he said, this right now is what I have prepared you for. Step strong and courageous into it. Are we being prepared? Are we willing to help prepare others? Are we willing to take the preparation? Are we willing to use the circumstances? Are we willing to glean from all that God wants us to glean and from those around us? But are we willing to be used in the preparation of other people? Older men, are we teaching younger men? Older women, are we teaching younger women? Are we preparing those around us for the day that they will be asked, for the moment they will be asked to do that, which God intends for them to do, that they have been prepared to do. I didn't set out to be a pastor. That wasn't my goal. It wasn't my plan. Matter of fact, it was pretty far from it. I uh, thought I'd be a football player forever. <laughs> Silly boy. And uh, <laughs> when that ended, then I said, well, I'll be a police officer. Football player, police officer. I think they're the same. And so I said, I'll do that. Finished up schooling, waiting to do that, started testing and applying. And then this crazy thing happened. Jesus Christ got a hold of my life and everything changed. He began to twist me and turn me and show me things that I didn't even know existed. Show me parts of me that I thought were good that were really evil. He began to give me a new philosophy and a new way to look at life. He began to give me something truly called love instead of <laughs> what I called love. Man, I just, everything was changing. I'm going to this church, and I'm like, well, I want to be a police officer. Or I want to work with gangs. Uh, this is what I want to do with my life. And so I went to the youth pastor. I said, hey, can, uh, can I help work with the youth group? I, I want to work with gangs someday, so working with the youth group would be good. He's like, sure, but we're in Los Gatos. <laughs> Teenagers, right? He goes, you got that right. Teenagers, Okay. So I started working with him. He invited me to be an intern. Didn't know what that meant. Showed up the first day for the internship. I said, hey, what do you want me to do? He goes, what do you want to do today? I said, I'll tell people about Jesus. He goes, here, and he handed me a three-by-five card that said, clean out the closet. <laughs> okay. And then he also handed me a devotional, a Bible study. And I said, what is this? And he goes, it's a Bible study. We're going to do it together. We're going to do a series of them. 
I said, okay, and I opened it up, and you know, started talking about who Jesus is, and you know, you gotta, you know, how to accept it, receive him in your life, and how he forgives you, and, and how you can have eternal life with him. I'm like, hey, uh, um, I think you may have given me the wrong one. I got this stuff. The, the whole Jesus saved me thing, man, I'm excited about that. But maybe a different one? You know. He goes, okay. He goes, tell me something. Who is Jesus? Well, he goes, go do the Bible study. You're right. I'll go do the Bible study. You see, he taught us. He spent time investing in me. He spent time pouring his life into me. I still wasn't planning to be a pastor, but at just the right moment, God did something amazing, and there was a call that I had to answer, and it was time. He did more than just invest in me to someday be a pastor. He poured into my wife. He poured into myself. I remember showing up to his office one day. I said, hey, how you doing? He looked at me and said, terrible. I'm like, terrible? I don't even know what to do with that response. You're supposed to say good, and we nod, and that's it. And he said, I just got into an argument with my wife. I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, no, no, Tim, I yelled at her. I'm like, well, that happens when you argue with your wife. He goes, I yelled at her in front of my kids. You know, I've been married for a whole two months. I had this thing licked. And I said, man, it, it happens, right? You're married, it happens. He's like, we got work to do. And he said, I want you and your wife to start meeting with my wife and I. He goes, I need to teach you how to be a godly man and a godly husband. I was on a journey of preparation. Got the phone with a friend of mine who came up through my ministry and he's graduating Bible college next month to be a pastor. Are you willing to be mentored and prepared are you willing for God to use your circumstances and the people around you? Are you willing to be that person for other people? Joshua was prepared for the work God had for him to do. Joshua was anchored by God's word. He was anchored by God's word. Joshua 1, 2, and 3 and 8 says this, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Everything Moses had written down, they put into the Ark of the Covenant. They valued it. They treasured it. They protected it. It would be read from. But that wasn't enough. The Lord said that the words of the Lord would be on his lips, that he'd meditate on the promises of God. That's true for us. In Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the words of Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It wasn't enough to just hold in high regard. It wasn't enough to just honor the words of the Lord. It wasn't enough to just hear them or to know them. The Lord said, Joshua, may they always be on your lips. May you meditate on them. The Hebrew word for that meditating was that you would murmur them, that they would be constantly coming out 
a mumbling, if you will, of God's word, that they would walk and the word of the Lord would constantly be on their lips. Are we anchored by God's word and his promises? Are we so entrenched in the word of God? Are we so bathed by the word of God and the promises of God that it anchors our life? That we see giants and battles in front of us and we are anchored by the promises of God. That there's circumstances and and obstacles and we're anchored by the word of God. That there's exciting moments and joyful moments and outrageous moments, but we're anchored by the promises of God. Church, that has to mark us. Before I started looking into Joshua's life, I was like, man, that dude is a stud. Right? He's the courage guy. Oh, battle on. You know, he shook sometimes. He was fearful sometimes. And it was always when he doubted the word of the Lord. Now, what I mean by that is that when he would forgot what it said or when he hadn't heard it yet or when he was uncertain if that was the direction and the moment he was brought back to the place of remembering God's word or God said, this was my promise. He was anchored and steadfast and there was amazing peace that came over him. There's a hope that we have in our life and a peace that transcends all understanding when we're anchored by the promises of God. The Jewish people had a practice of wherever they walked, talking with one another about God. Whenever they met together as friends or over a meal, they would talk about God. The word of God would come off their lips. I'm amazed at how often I sit with Christian brothers and sisters and the word of God does not come off my lips. And the word of God is not mentioned in that conversation. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Here you go. You're right. well, that's a dumb saying, right? I'll be honest. I've been lying to you this whole time, so let me be honest now. Wow, this is dumb. But anyways, here you go. If you sit down with me for 15 minutes, I will talk about my family. You can't be with me for more than 15 minutes without me mentioning my wife or my kids. They're the great love of my life. I love them. But they're not the greatest love of my life. My Lord Jesus is the greatest love of my life. So how is it that we can sit together and within 15 minutes you will hear about a great love of my life, but you will not hear about the greatest love of my life? If I am anchored by the word of God, would it not come off my lips on a regular basis? Listen to the promises that are supposed to anchor us. God promised to bless Abraham through his descendants and the whole world. God promised Israel to be their God and make them his people. God promised that if we search for him, we will find him. God promised protection for his children. God promised that his love will never fail. God promised Israel that their sin would be forgiven, prosperity restored, and the nation healed. God promised prosperity to Israel for obedience and destruction for disobedience. God promised blessing for all who will delight themselves in his word. God promised salvation to all who believe in his son. God promised that all things will work out for the good of those who love him. God promised comfort in our trials. God promised new life in Christ. God promised 
promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. God promised to finish the work he started in us. God promised peace when we pray. Jesus promised to supply our needs. Jesus promised us rest. Jesus promised the abundant life. Jesus promised eternal life to those who trust him. Jesus promised to hold us securely when he said that no one will snatch us out of the hands of the Father. Jesus promised his disciples power from on high. Jesus promised that he will return for us. And Jesus promised to be with us till the end of the age. That is the promises of God, church, that should anchor our lives. Does it? Does it anchor your life? Is there a peace and a hope that transcends all understanding that causes you to be steadfast and sure? I hope it is. We also find that Joshua had courage to act. That Joshua had the courage to act. Can I help you with a phrase? Can I share one with you? Uh, You may not find these exact words compiled together in Scripture, but the meaning, the understanding of what these words mean is all throughout Scripture, continuously throughout Scripture. Blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. May that become a regular part of your vocabulary. May that become a regular part of your meditation. May that become a regular part of the words that are on your lips because we can find scripture throughout, front to back, that says that. In Joshua 1, 5 through 6, it says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. To receive that inheritance, to have that blessing, there would need to be obedience. They were going to have to cross the Jordan. They were going to have to take their inheritance. They were going to have to trust and act with great courage. It is amazing when the promises of God anchor us and secure us. It is amazing when we lean and rest on those promises. But those promises are meant to push us to action not to cause us to sit in comfort. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about Joshua. Before God could fulfill his promises, however, Joshua had to exercise faith and be strong and of good courage. Divine sovereignty is not a substitute for human responsibility. Let me say that again. Divine sovereignty is not a substitute for human responsibility. God's sovereign word is an encouragement to God's servants to believe God and obey his commands. God's promises are prods, not pillows. God's promises are prods and not pillows. It takes courage to take what we are sure of and to act upon it. It takes courage to step into the difficult situations. It takes courage to literally trust and truly trust the promises of God. The promises of God are not just supposed to comfort us. The promises of God are not just supposed to fill us up. The promises of God are not simply supposed to satisfy us. They are supposed to move us forward into the inheritance that God has for us. It's supposed to move us forward with great courage into the plans and the promises that he has for us. It's supposed to move us. Church, we have a choice. If you take God's promises, 
and all you do is storm up and you sit with them and they allow you to feel secure and they allow you to feel comfortable and they allow you to feel good. And you have a bucket of promises. A bucket of promises. And what goes in a bucket, if it's never let out, becomes stale and stagnant. You ever took a sniff of a bucket that's been sitting there way too long? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a little nasty. The church of the living God was never supposed to be a church of buckets. The promises that were given are supposed to call us to action. They're supposed to give us great courage to step out and be the church that God intended for us to be. We are to be used for his purposes and his plans. It's supposed to give us courage. What's the point of continuing to say to, to Joshua, be strong and of great courage? To go forward, to take my commands and my promises and I will bless you. Blessing follows obedience. To know the promises of God and to not act on them, that, James tells us, would be a sin. That would be a sin. James also tells us in chapter 2, verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, when it is not accompanied by action, is dead. May we not be a church of dead faith. May we not be a church of buckets that are only useful to looking at and, and to, to feeling good and to storing up. May that not be who we are. It's going to take courage to believe in the promises of God when it comes to my marriage. And I'm going to have to work on it when I don't feel like it. It's going to take great courage to be the man of God that he's calling me to be, to walk away from evil and sin when I don't want to. It will take great courage for me to submit to my brother who calls the sin out in my life. It'll take great courage in trusting in the promises that I'm anchored by. It'll take great courage for me to step into your life and to call sin, sin, and evil, evil. Because I might lose you as a friend. It'll take great courage to step into the battles, the difficult moments, the painful moments. It'll take great courage to stand next to someone's hospital bed and in difficult moments. And yet, I've been given the promise. And the promise is sure and certain. I remember having a conversation with a young 20-something girl. I'd gotten to know her pretty well. She was in our ministry. She was dating somebody that wasn't very beneficial to her. He claimed to be a Christian, and yet there was very little fruit in his life of somebody who followed Christ. As she continued in this relationship, she began to compromise. She began to go in a direction that she regretted. She began to go in a direction that tore her apart. She began doing things that she never dreamed of doing. And as I sat down with her, I simply said, what are you doing? She goes, I can't, I can't stop seeing him. Why? She goes, because it feels good. Because he says things that make me feel pretty. Because I feel wanted when I'm with him. I said, how do you feel inside? 
She goes, horrible. I feel like a betrayer. And I said, then it's time. It's time to stand on those promises. It's time to step forward. You have to stop seeing him. We went back and forth and back and forth and through a lot of prayer and other friends, she finally stepped forward and stopped seeing him. She slipped into a depression faster than I've seen most people. And what I saw was the body of Christ surround her, begin to pray for her, begin to lift her up, begin to act as the body of Christ is supposed to act, begin to live out the promises that God promised. And they held her up. And then she began to say the promises of God over and over again. She began to see herself the way that God saw her, not the way she saw her. She began to live out the truth of Scripture. And before long, she opened her eyes and she saw one of the most amazing men she could have ever met who had been around her the whole time. A godly man who loved Jesus more than he loved himself. And I had the incredible privilege of uh, officiating their wedding. Amen. It takes great courage to act on the promises of God. And we are all going to have to be of great courage, just like Joshua. Joshua lived with vision and victory. He lived a life of vision and victory. In Joshua 6.2, I want you to see this verse. And we're going to leave it on the screen for a minute. I want you to read it a couple times, would you? It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with his king and its fighting men. It's short. Just read it again. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. This was before the battle. This is before the battle. They were still outside of Jericho. This is before anything happened. This is before the march started to happen. This is before anything it was great vision on who God was and what he was going to do. It was kingdom vision. It was eternal vision that God was giving him. And it was victory. When we follow the promises of God, when we are his children, there is victory at hand. We are promised victory. What will that look like in this life? I don't know. What will the battle look like? I don't know. What will the details look like? I don't know. But I do know that I am promised victory in Christ. I am promised that this day is not the last day. I am promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. I am promised that blessing follows obedience, which means I live in a state of victory even in the hardest of battles. You live in a state of victory even in the hardest battles for victory is ours. Mm. Listen to this. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> it's Palm Sunday. This is the day we celebrate Jesus coming back to Jerusalem. And he rides in on a, on a donkey. And everybody's singing Hosanna and remembering the great works and the miracles he did. <laughs> He's trusting his father. He's been prepared for this moment. And with great courage, he entered Jerusalem. 
only to be beaten beyond recognition and to be hung on a cross and to die a criminal's death, a man that was found to have no sin, Jesus Christ. What will the battle look like? I don't know. How difficult will it be? Probably hard, very difficult. But he entered Jerusalem knowing that victory was his, knowing that victory was certain, that Paul says that death would lose its sting. So that next Sunday we gather to celebrate the victory. On Friday he died, but on Sunday he was risen to life. And to life he offers us a life of victory. When I take my last breath, when you take your last breath, those who follow him, those who proclaim his name, those who have been saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, when we take our last breath, we breathe again the very next moment in the presence of the Father. Victory is ours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What is it? Is it death that we fear? We cannot because there's no sting. Is it pain that we fear? All it can do is end in death. Is it disappointment that we fear? There is great victory in Jesus Christ. We won in Christ. I was watching a show with my son. <laughs> He's a crazy kid. And uh, he likes this show called, uh, called Hawaii Five O, the new version, right? And uh, there's these people running around Hawaii, and he goes, Dad, sit down and watch with me. I'm like, all right, let's watch it. And it's just one of those crazy, cheesy, you know, detective shows. And so we're sitting there watching it, and I'm going, that couldn't happen. He goes, Dad, just watch. I'm like, no way. Just watch the show. I'm like, all right, all right, we're watching it. And then suddenly, this thing happens, and one of the main characters, a former SEAL, one of his friends has been taken captive in North Korea. And so he decides that he's going to go to North Korea and free his friend. Little, little 5 side business. I'm thinking, okay, he's a SEAL. We'll take that. All right. He gets there and he gets all caught and now he's, under, you know, he's captive and beating him up. And well, his 5 detective friends find out that he's in a mess. So the four police detectives decide they're going to board a plane and go to North Korea. So I, I, I look at my son and I go, hey, is this the last episode of the entire series? <laughs> because man, this is a bloodbath waiting to happen. <laughs> so they're on the tarmac, getting their last instructions, getting ready to board the plane, and all of a sudden this Hummer shows up, boom! Four or five guys jump out, boom! Man, they got guns everywhere. They're in their camo. They got biceps the size of Mount Everest. The leader walks up and he goes, SEAL Team 9, how can we help? Oh my God, SEAL Team 9. I go, that's the deal right there. I go, U.S. Navy SEALs, the whole blazing thing showed up. And man, whoa, they're going to go take them. Nobody can handle our SEALs. America. I don't know, it's a TV show. I'm going nuts. It's fun. But on the show, you can see a sigh of relief come over. The detectives are like, ooh, SEALs. They have great confidence in their ability. They have great confidence in their training. They have great confidence that when they show up, the battle is won. Hey, 
son or daughter of the great king. When you show up, is there a sigh of relief? When you show up with the promises of God, do people breathe deep? When you show up because victory is on your side, when you show up, is there a, is there a sigh because eternal wisdom has been given to you through the Spirit? When you show up, is there a, yeah, because the Lord goes before them. That's the way we're intended to live. Church, we can't be buckets, but we can be pipes. Because God's grace and God's mercy can flow through us into the lives of other people. Because we've been prepared and we have the promises that anchor us and we know to step forward with great courage and we know that there is victory in those promises. And we can be a church of pipes that takes the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ into the world. And it flows out of our lives. It's on our lips, it's on our heart, it's a part of our actions. A church of buckets or a church of pipes. I've had the privilege of being here only for a year and a half. In that year and a half, I sing praises to our Lord because Big Valley, you are part of God's church and you are pipes. I have seen you live as pipes over and over again. I have seen you declare Jesus Christ. I have sat in coffee shops hearing you. You don't even know I'm there. Talk about Jesus Christ. I'm like, I think they go to our church. Woo! <laughs> Being a pipe, allowing God's grace to flow through you. I've seen you go out and love Modesto. I have seen you take food to those that are hungry. I have seen you offer shelter to those that have none. I have seen you be the pipes of Jesus Christ. I have seen God's mercy flow through you. And it's time to rise up and be the pipes one more time. Ah, one of many times. But that's who we must be. This week, may God's word flow from your lips. May conversations be laced with his promises. May you dive deep into people's lives, allowing God's grace to flow through you. May there be great conversations about his death and resurrection as we approach Easter weekend. And may this church swell because you have brought people to continue to hear the message of Jesus Christ and to worship with his saints. Church, you are pipes. Our memory verse for this week is, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah? Let's go and be pipes. And let's go invest and those that are still helpless and harassed, that are sheep without a shepherd. Let's go into their life and bring the grace of mercy of Jesus Christ to them. Because Jesus came into our lives and loved us while we were still sinners. May we do the same. Church of Pipes, may you be blessed. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for what you do in our lives, the promises that we can live by, the preparation that you are giving us, the courage to step forward and trust those promises. 
Father, may we be your sons and daughters. When we show up to a scene, there's a sigh of relief because we bring your promises. May we be the church of pipes that you've asked us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, be blessed.